Perhaps the most encouraging record of dynamics in the early church comes from the beautiful brotherhood in Antioch. Here's a biblical model for any congregation today. It'd be an excellent model for the Zion congregation for our churches in Costa Rica. Here's a biblical model that serves well this church's brotherhood skills with clear and yet pastoral oversight. Here the Holy Ghost is present, active and powerful. And while this is all going on, there is no New Testament. No young man came front of the church in Antioch and read Matthew 13, the parable of the sower. There was none to read. There was no New Testament at that time. Not one parable of Jesus written down. And yet they had churches there and they had beautiful services. But here in this church, there's both physical and spiritual ministry. A distinctive testimony shown out from this body of early believers, and then their neighbors called them Christians. It was interesting that this was part of the prayer this morning. They enjoyed a harmonious and respectful relationship with their elders. It's just no matter where you look at this church, it's just beautiful every place you look. It was a worshiping congregation. The Bible says they ministered to the Lord. They, they fasted and prayed. And God was in the midst and spoke to them. And we have few details, really. We, we'd, we'd like to know so very much more. But we know that there was unity and harmony here. They were of one heart and mind. They were of one voice. And, and they knew how to come to a brotherhood consensus. That is the title for this meditation this morning, this teaching, Coming to a Brotherhood Consensus. That's the title. You could say that in many ways, reaching a brotherhood consensus arriving at a brother consensus. You can turn that into a question and say, how do you come to brother consensus? There are several interesting words in that title. The word brotherhood is very important there. It's a brother consensus. That means it includes all of us. And it's a consensus. And one of the things I want to do this morning is explain to you the very, very clear difference between consensus and decision. Many, many churches make decisions, but the church is divided when it's done. There's not consensus. Many churches make decisions and leave pe many people hurt in the church. Though a clear decision was made, there's not consensus. It was not the one heart of the body. And just because we made a decision does not mean we brought peace to the church. It does not mean that our hearts are together just because we've reached a decision now. 
But when there is a coming to a brotherly consensus, there's peace and harmony. It, it works for all of us. It fits. It's expressed in my heart. I'm part of that unified, I'm part of that harmonious team. I'm one of those who's breathing heavily together. I'm with this. And that's a powerful thing to have in a church. We see that in this, in this congregation here. We see it other places in the book of Acts in the New Testament. But we see it here particularly at Antioch. I think it's the most beautiful model that we have in the scripture. And we could preach a, quite, a, quite a few messages to this congregation to any place from the story of the church at Antioch. I want to look at some Bible text this morning. And the book of the, the church at Antioch is involved in these texts that I'm going to read. Although these texts are not taken from chapter 11 nor chapter 13. I'm going to start in chapter 15 of Acts. Would you turn there? We read verses 25 through 28. Coming to a brotherhood consensus. And I'm pulling these verses out of their context. We'll look at the context just a bit later. But right now, look at this, these beautiful words. It seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. And they came from Antioch, by the way. Men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent forth, therefore, Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. And we can read with that, but it's not pertinent to what I'm saying right now to have to read the rest of that letter. It's a letter that was written here. But these people came to a brotherhood consensus. The results of it we see in chapter 16, verses 4 and 5. The results of that consensus. And they went through the cities and delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained to the apostles and elders which were Jerusalem. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. So those with those texts before us, the theme of coming together, the brotherhood coming together to consensus. I have several things I need to do this morning with this title. The one is explain to you what I mean by consensus or what that term means. It is not a majority vote. You know, it would be very easy to run a church if you said 75%. Anything that has 75% of the vote, or some people use 80%, then that means it carries, and that now is the dictum, that is now the mandate, that is now the decision, that is now what the policy will be from now on, based upon a vote. I'm going to tell you several things wrong with that system. Besides the fact that it's democratic and not theocratic, which would be serious enough, we, don't, we wouldn't have to say more than just that, there's some more things wrong with it. That means that either 20 or 25% of the congregation is not in harmony with it. It also means that a small percentage of the congregation, only 20% of the congregation, 
could prevent something from moving forward that otherwise it might be right to do. It's a very faulted system. It works well in politics. It doesn't work in the church. You never can get society to consensus because the 100 pianos are not tuned to the same Holy Spirit. So you never can get society to, be, to come to consensus. They don't do it. But we can come to consensus. So it's not a majority vote. It's not a popular opinion. It is a unified agreement. It is unanimity. It's group solidarity. It is a judgment or decision reached by common consent. The word consensus comes from the Latin word consentir, which is very similar to our Spanish word for the same thing, and you get your word consent from that. So there's not only a decision reached, but it's reached in agreement. We're agreed with a decision. There's a, there, it's a common consensus among the brotherhood. We all feel it. We're all part of it. And we saw this in the text that we read. Consensus is not an election. It is not a form of parliamentary procedure. It is an agreement. That is, it is, a, is, it is an accord. And maybe I would help you with this. I would just teach you one Spanish word that's in this passage in Spanish two times. The word accord in your language is acuerdo in our language. And acuerdo and agreement is the same word. You come to an acuerdo. You come to an agreement. You come to an accord. So it is an accord. It's an agreement. And it's an agreement that was birthed on the heart level. And how does that happen in a church? How does a church come to that place where diverse opinions, diverse perspectives and backgrounds and ways of looking at something, how do we bring all those varied thoughts and impressions, the conscience of so many different ones, and the background of them, the teaching they've had on this thing, and their ideas and impressions of it from the past. And how do you bring all that into one heart, and one voice, and one mind, so that the team is breathing heavily together? How do you do that? But, but, but we can do that. And in this, in, in, this, in this Bible here, we see where they did that. And we need to learn from that. And find out how they did that. So to help us see this, I'm going to do two things. I'm going to first put a little model of a congregation here on the board. It's so very elementary. Uh, the young man that read chapter 13 to us this morning from Matthew could put this on the board, what I'm going to put there. It's, it's that elementary. But I want to teach you several things about this little schematic, this little tiny model, this little this simple illustration.
Now, I think most of you can read that. And if you're not able to see the board or don't know how to read English, there's a, the name God is at the top, and that could be Trinity if you use that word. It could be Godhead. It could be Holy Spirit. It could be Jesus. It, you can write, that's, that's what represented up there. And we have a box down here, and inside that box we have a servant body, we have a brotherhood. We have, a, we have three arrows on that board. You see there's an arrow coming directly from God to the servant body. You see there's an arrow goes from the servant body to the brotherhood. You see there's an arrow that goes directly from God to the brotherhood. Do you see that on the board? Do you understand that? I want to say a couple of things about this diagram. Number one, there are several weaknesses with the diagram. I want to talk about that first. There are several things that the diagram does not do for us that it should do. And so since I can't change the way that's written, and you'll find out why after a while, I want to tell you some weaknesses. The diagram does not reveal some things like it should. Number one, the servant body is part of the brotherhood. And I tried to help you see that by putting both of them inside the box. The servant body is part of the brotherhood. The, the, the pastor, the elder of your church is also a sheep. The, the shepherd of your congregation is a sheep, just like everyone else says. We are all sheep. There is, a, there is a great shepherd. There is a shepherd and bishop of our souls. And sometimes these others are called under-shepherds. But we are sheep. And Christ is the shepherd. Christ is the head. So the servant body is part of the brotherhood. And yes, they do have a specific function that not all of us have, but they're part of this body. And it's a beautiful thing when you can feel that. It's a beautiful thing when the church is aware of that. It's a beautiful thing when that is very, very evident and understood in, in the congregation. There's another thing that this diagram does not show us very well. Unfortunately, this diagram has a servant body. Here they are above the brotherhood. That's not a very good way to diagram a congregation because the servants are not over the members. They are among the members. And I didn't know how to, I can't do that on the board there. But I want to read a verse to you from Luke 22. And this is not Antioch now, and this is not, this is not a, an early church model, but this is our Lord Jesus. And he says these words in 22:27 of the Gospel of Luke. For whither is greater, he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth? Is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you as he that serveth. That's the position of the pastoral team. That's the position of the servant body. That's the place of the eldership. I am among you. If Christ does that, if Christ says that about himself, if that's the position that Christ takes, that's the position we take in the servant body. We are among you, and we serve there, among you. Yet this diagram that we have on the board... This attempted model we have here does portray several important things and shows several meaningful Bible concepts, and I want to now look at three of them. You will notice if you look up there that this gathered body, this assembled body, this brotherhood that's there inside that box has Christ in the midst, has God in the midst. The, the, the church is not there alone. 
There's another presence here. Christ is present. The power and guidance of the Holy Spirit is evident in the assembled body. And when you study the, gospel, the, 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 the record of the Antioch church, you find time and again the infusion of the Holy Spirit into that body. I'll just give you three examples of that. So I don't need to take time to read all of it. When the church at Jerusalem sent Barnabas over there, to, to, they, they heard that some of these Gentile people were becoming Christians and, and becoming believers, and, and over there they were at this place called Antioch, and all the, the 12 disciples, apostles, stayed where they were, but they sent Barnabas over there, kind of interesting, but that's what they did, and they sent a very good man over there, and I don't know why Barnabas was not ordained as a deacon back there in chapter 6, he was not, but they sent him over there, and the Bible says this man was full of the Holy Spirit. This was a man of faith. This was a good man. This was a son of consolation. This was an ideal person to send. He, he was not a superlative personality. He was not a really overly gifted kind of person. But, but, but this man came over there to this new church. Of course, he was brand new. He unpacked his suitcase, looked around, and saw this, this little group of people gathered there. And the first thing he saw when he saw that group is what Brother Mark Brubaker saw starting on Tuesday morning, Thursday morning. Brother Mark, the first thing you saw when these people started walking in this door and sitting there in that little intensive care unit, you saw the same thing that Barnabas saw. We saw it throughout the week. Does anyone know what Barnabas saw when he first got there? The pine tree. No. The belfry on top of the roof of the building. No. The Bible tells you what he saw. He saw the grace of God. It's the first thing he saw. Am I right, Mark? You can say amen to that, brother. Time after time, 29 times. We had 29 meetings. 29 times. The grace of God. And you know, when the Holy Spirit has that kind of control, when the Holy Spirit is that evident in a person's life, there, there's bound to be something holy going to come out of this thing. And, and then we have these people together, and, 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 and the Holy Spirit speaks to this assembled group, and they're worshiping, they're ministering unto God, and they're fasting and they're praying. And the Holy Spirit speaks, and he says, separate unto me Barnabas and Saul to the work that I've called them. And the Spirit of God is in control of this whole thing. And then you have them, it was the brotherhood at Antioch that gave the suggestion to send some brothers over to Jerusalem and see if we can tend them out of this causing a disturbance and an unrest, a discontent among the believers. Because you go over there and talk about it. And so those men from Antioch went along with Barnabas and Paul. And they went over there, what happened? And the Holy Ghost said, and it seemed good unto the Holy Ghost unto us. I kind of enjoyed it here, Brother Mark. You, you people have expressions and states that I don't know about. You know, you live away from this country for as long as I did, and, and, and uh, you, you learn all kinds of new things when you come back here. And I learned a phrase here that, that it was new to me. I, I think I understood what you meant from the very, very beginning, but I was hearing this time after time, and I, almost every person that spoke said this, not everyone, almost. It, it feels like, it, it, and it felt like, 
And it feels like, uh, you know, to, to me it felt like, I thought it was somebody was touching you over the place. <laughs> you felt it and you felt it and you felt it. Well, it, it, in this book it says something different. The same thing you meant when you said that, in this book it says the same thing. It says it seemed to the Holy Ghost and us, that's what it seemed like. It, it, it was evident. And that seeming is not some kind of an imaginary, maybe, maybe so it's not a nebulous. It, it's not a take a shot at it, take a chance on it. That, that, that seemed good. I think it's the same thing that you meant. It, it, was, it was very real. It was very apparent. It was very evident. This is the way it is. The Holy Ghost is at work. And so I'm just using that. There's uh, several examples in this Antioch church. The Holy Spirit was very much involved there. And we see that on this chart. We see further. The unction of the Holy One. You see it there. That unction is upon the chosen servants. You see it right here. And also upon the gathered brotherhood. You see it on the board. Each one has an abiding relationship with Christ. The anointing of the Spirit is there. And the Word of God is abiding in them. The Word of God is abiding in these. The Word of God is abiding here. And this then leads us to the third point, that though you cannot see it on the chart, it's a corollary, it's a natural result of what we've just seen. This then explains the confidence and the trust that the servant body has in that brotherhood. And results in the honor and respect that the brotherhood has for the servant body. So there are spiritual relationships here, and there is submission one to another. And in this sense, and in this condition, there's an opportunity to hear what the Spirit is saying unto the churches. Now, I'm going to just before I leave this board, and I'm going to I'm going before I leave this board. I want to say something practical about what you see there. In Costa Rica, we work with a lot of new generation, first generation Christians. We work with people who are not raised in Christian homes. They, we have a member in our congregation. That I don't think she had any idea what a Bible was. I don't think she ever heard the name of Jesus Christ. One of the most illiterate and ignorant people that I've ever worked with is now a mother in our congregation with several children. When a person is born of the Holy Spirit of God, when a heathen person is converted, when an unchurched and ignorant person comes to the knowledge and light of the truth, there's something holy and beautiful in that person immediately. There's life. There's the presence of God. There's a spiritual mind. It's all messed up. A lot of things it doesn't understand. There's a lot of foundation missing. A lot of teaching is needed. They assembled the church for a whole year and taught their church at Antioch. 
But I have learned to have confidence in a new convert from the very first day. I believe that put them out there and give them a situation that they would have faced in one way, would have responded to in one way yesterday. There's power there in understanding and a life and a presence to guide them to do something, make a different choice today. And when you have that confidence in your people, when you have that relationship with the, with the, with the congregation, when you're satisfied that, and you can trust that the Holy Spirit of God is working there. And people respond beautifully to trust. Young people respond beautifully to trust. Your children respond beautifully to trust. The congregation responds very well to trust. May I say one more thing? Sometimes it's risky to trust. Sometimes you must take the risk and trust. You won't be disappointed. These young people will not disappoint you if you trust them. We see this on the board here. Now, practical illustration. I'm going to run run along here because Brother Mark needs to come up here. In Acts chapter 6, there was a murmuring among the Grecians because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration, that is, in the diaconado, in the work that the, uh, of ministering to the needs of those people. Something was missing. People had brought money, laid it at the apostles' feet. There were too many thousands out there. Uh, this money here in a pile in front of 12 men did, did, did not get out there and reach the whole way around. They couldn't take care of it. They, they called the church together. Here we are. The church is called together. They presented the problem to the congregation. <coughs> And, 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 and though the whole brethren is there, someone is responsible. Someone is presiding. Someone is aware of the situation. Someone must take the, must, someone must preside and stand before and make it clear and help the, the body understand just what we're facing. And someone did that. And they said something very interesting to this church. And though these people have the anointing of God that's upon them directly and, they, and the congregation senses its responsibility and that there's someone here that is overseeing and watching out for and caring for like a shepherd to the flock. Yet, this servant body is well aware of this arrow over here. And so they look at this congregation and say, look, you look out among you and find seven men. And here are the things we'd like you to look for. You tell me how that church did that. You tell me how the people of Jerusalem went out there and went about that finding of those seven men. You tell me what all they did. They didn't go eeny, meeny, miny, mo. They didn't pass out slips of paper. There was not a lottery. But the Holy Spirit of God was on that group and they took that seriously and they said, we brothers are responsible to come up with seven men. And this body of people brought those seven men to the servant body. They brought them there to the apostles. They, They brought those seven men. And then when these seven came, the church didn't say, what'd you choose him for? I, I didn't this one here, no. And to show you the wisdom of what that church did, to show you the discernment, their anointing, to show you the power of God working in this church. Let me just show, show you some things that happened there. It was the Christians that were disturbed. And, and that early church 
in Jerusalem, brand new baby church. They chose seven Grecian believers to serve in that need that was present there. I don't know if they intentionally did that, but that's how they, what they did. They brought these to the apostles. And then the apostles, with the authority they had, the responsibility they had, their function as, as, as an eldership for the church at that time, they ordained these men. They laid their hands on them. And I just want to show you there the confidence between the eldership and the congregation and the respectful way that the congregation responded to those elders and the carefulness with which they did that holy work. And this is how churches function. Now, that could be a lot of detail given there, but please let us go on to one more point. Coming to a brotherhood consensus, what is the process whereby we come to a consensus in a congregation? With all the diversity and the perspectives and the difference of understanding in the background. In our case, as we said on Wednesday night, that difference includes culture also and language also. Brother Ray is sitting back there. It was just a tremendous blessing to be run into him the other night. I was so glad for that. I speak Spanish more than Ray does. Listen to this closely. Maybe I could have said I speak Spanish better than he does. But I said I speak Spanish more than he does. But he is far, far, far more Latin than I am. I couldn't imagine this this Latin brother sitting in front of me as Latin as can be. The expressions on the face, the gestures with the hands, everything was Latin and spoken English. I I sat there and tried to figure this out. I I, I loved it. It was beautiful. And and, and yet, uh, we we live with that. My dear people at home know that Dale's not a Latin. It may be good if I would be. But when those people there are with my youngest daughter, who was born in Costa Rica, raised her all her life, she is as Latin as they are, except that she doesn't look like it. She looks, she looks like something else happened. But when she opens her mouth to speak, and when she's cooking a meal, and when she's wiping the table afterwards and washing the dishes, you see that she is as Latin as the rest of those girls. And she, it looks like she learned virtually nothing from her mother. It's an amazing story. We we work with that. But how do we bring all this to consensus in a church? It's a union of hearts. It's agreement that was birthed in God. You see, when there's a consensus, we're looking for an answer. When there's a consensus, we're 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 coming to an agreement. And this agreement does not start with your brains and mind. It does not start with your perspective and mind. It does not start with the way I think about it, what my preference is. This this consensus had its origin in God. It was birthed in God. And, and, And what God has here for our church is what we must find out. And when the Bible says that we should hear what the Spirit says to the church, that's what it's talking about. Because this answer we need comes from God. That's a powerful thing to think about. 
It seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us. You notice that? You remember that phrase? We read that to you this morning. It seemed good to the Holy Ghost first and then to us. How do they come to this? Will we consider the consensus that was reached in Jerusalem in chapter 15 of Acts? And I'm not going to read all that to you. The verses that I read came out of the context of that meeting. That meeting was initiated by the brothers of Antioch. That was the congregation, the brotherhood there. They suggested that, that they send some people over there. And, and some of the brothers from the church went along with Peter, with, with Paul and Barnabas when they went over there to Jerusalem. When they got there, they were assembled with the apostles and with the elders and with the whole church. And that term, their whole church, which is found twice in Acts 15, is one time translated in your Bible, the brethren. The apostles, the elders, with the brethren. And so again, I want you to see this pattern. Here we have the apostles and the elders, the brethren. Here we have the apostles and elders, the whole church. I want you to just be conscious of that. And of course, as I told you, brethren, being the were present. So I'll go, th- I'll th- I'll go through this rapidly. It's, uh, this is the method we use in Costa Rica. And I'm not saying there's not some variation to it sometimes, but this will not take very long. So we begin, we begin with a rather troublesome problem or something that we must decide. Or maybe something that's just a little bit difficult to get your fingers around it. And, and maybe just a sensitive issue. And maybe it's not just really easy to discuss. And when a church faces things like that, elders can really feel some intimidation because they know this is going to be a difficult thing to present and they know there's diversity of thinking and they know that not everyone, as you people tell me here in the States, are not on the same page. It's probably good you're not because you probably, probably put a lot of footprints on there and it might not be a very large area to stand on. But it's cute the way we talk and I enjoy it. And the elders know that, and so with a degree of trepidation, uh, they can put it off. Or they can try to skirt it a little bit, or try to generalize it. And, and uh, the, the shortest way through a difficulty is straight through the center. And it's hard for us to do that sometimes as elders. Guess why I know that. So we have a rather troublesome thing we present. The presiding body brings it to the assembly. And presents it, explains it as best they can. That's what happened in chapter 6 when the elders and the apostles explained what's going on here with these Grecians. It was not easy for them to bring that out. They were exposing their own fault. They were exposing their own lack of reaching around and getting this all done. And the care that Brother Elvin talked about this morning was missing. Not everyone was feeling that care. Where's the care? We're, We're not getting it. So they presented this problem as clearly as they could present it. So the whole church understood it. That same thing happened in Acts 15. And then, without having presented, be it in the same meeting or in a later, later scheduled one, there's an opportunity for testimony, an opportunity for people to express themselves, an opportunity for people to explain it as they have experienced it, to tell what they know about it, to express their view of it. Everyone has a chance to do that. And, and that is matched then with the witness of Scripture. If when I'm in that meeting and we're discussing this matter, it was presented by the eldership, and, and I'm sitting in that meeting, it's my turn to speak. 
I don't have the floor for the purpose of swinging this thing my direction. I'm speaking now in that brothers' meeting, in that assembly, very conscious that the answer we need comes from God. And the elders who are listening, the brotherhood that's listening, though they hear my voice speaking, they're listening for something else. How is God using Dale to speak to us right now? What are we hearing from what his words are and what his view is and what his perspective is? What are we learning from God here? The witness of Scripture. There's a sharing of hearts. We want to hear what the Spirit is saying. I've told our brothers time and again when we are meeting, brothers, one thing, keep your ears tuned. What is God saying? And this whole thing is happening in an atmosphere. There's a context. There's an atmosphere. What is that atmosphere like? Disputing that had happened at the beginning had to give way to order and to mutual consideration. Discord does not come to consensus. Discord is able to reach a decision, but discord does not come to consensus. In chapter 15 there, there's an interesting verse there, verse 12. It just shares several interesting points about atmosphere in a meeting. Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul. That attitude, that atmosphere. And then we can say more about that, but please, we must move on here. And so we have a chance to share. Everyone can, can, can give it. You had insight in it. You had some experience with it. Bring that to the brotherhood. And open a transparent way without fear, but with, but with this desire to understand what God is saying, realizing that the answer we need comes from heaven. God gives us our answer. Then the presiding elder, or eldership, comes back to the, the body with a proposal. They were listening, and, 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 and when, when this brother spoke, it sounded almost opposite from what that brother spoke. He saw from that view, he saw from that view, it looks like this is opposite. And so some of the congregation does this, and some of the congregation does this. And alienates. But wait a minute, a wise elder, a wise presiding official in a, in a body like this, listens and says, I was not opposite. This thread goes right through into this. I see a thread going through there. While others are discussing, wondering how this is going to turn out, the man of God is listening to the Holy Spirit. And they come back to the congregation and they say, when we were discussing this last week, when we were discussing this earlier on, am I correct in thinking, am I correct in, did I, am I correct that I heard something happening here among us? Is, is this what God might be saying to our church? We, we would like as an eldership to present this proposal. As we've thought about it, it just looks like this is kind of what we heard God saying. How do you feel about it, brothers? So a proposal is presented. And when a proposal is presented, it's still open to some variation. It's open to some modification. It's open to some improvement. It's open to maybe a suggested change. 
And the brother has a proposal to look at. They have something solid in their hands that takes a whole lot of discussion and reduces it down to a capsule of thought and understanding and direction. And the brother says, you know, maybe tweak that a little bit, but we feel pretty good about that. Let's discuss it. Anyone have any questions, objections? Is there a problem? The presiding elder presents a proposal. He does not present a decision. He presents a proposal to be examined, thought through, prayed over. This proposal was formed in interesting ways through spiritual testimony, through the written word, through spiritual discernment. There was a common thread went through here. And, And now... Hearts are melted together, and we have this brotherhood skill. We have this brotherhood love. We have this dynamic. And there's a union of hearts, and the voice of the brotherhood comes forth. We're coming together to a consensus. If there's still not a consensus, what do we do? There seems to be some objection. There seems to be some resistance. There seems to be someone that's not quite able to see it. Well, there's a lot of things we can do at that time. We can wait a while longer. We can visit that person and seeming to have a struggle with it. Maybe there's another adaptation or modification we should make to the proposal. Maybe the person involved there should be asked if he would be willing. Since the majority of the brothers, and it seems like the God is giving the same pulse to every heart that's here, would you be able to submit to that, yield your heart to that? Wherever there is love, there is a desire for likeness. There is a desire for oneness. Love yields to the preference of others. Love wants to understand. Love considers my brother better than myself. Love talks like this. If meat, meat makes my brother to offend, I will not eat meat as long as the earth standeth. I can give that up. I'm a, I'm a guitar player. I was a lead guitarist. I played a Gibson J45. The Brotherhood does not use musical instruments. Made a decision that, I was not part of that decision, but made a decision that we will not have that in our homes. So goodbye, Mr. Gibson. Do I miss it? Maybe I do until Brother Randall comes front and leaves number 188. And for some strange reason, I don't need it when we're singing 188. I'm fine to sing 188. And I, there's, no, there's no Gibson J45, there's no Gibson Dove, there's no Martin D28 that can match what we heard this morning. When with one heart and one voice we glorify God and say, Christ, we do all adore thee and we do praise thee forever. So I want to encourage you to come to consensus. I want to encourage you to do more than make decisions. Bring all the hearts along when you do it. And may God richly bless you.